I recognize that uh, for me today actually is, uh, thankfully, a, a special day for which I'm grateful. I love being the father of five children. My wife and I never planned on having a large family, and if we weren't 43 years old, we might just go to 10. We uh, were sort of on the border of social unacceptability anyway, so we may as well just keep, you know, rattling them off. Maybe we'll get a TV show or something if we get there, so. But I do love my children deeply. I'm grateful for that. I, I find I'm learning to love them more as each day goes by. It's not always the easiest thing for a father to bond early with children. I talk to a lot of dads that, that walk through that piece of it, and I'm learning that journey myself with them. I'm also grateful for my own father, who's uh, been there for me in so many ways in my 43 years here. And uh, as uh, has been said, he's here this morning. We're going to do some sort of little hybrid kind of thing where for the first half I'll spend some time with reflections and, and uh, some different things to share on that. And then he'll join me up here and we'll spend the second half of the sermon doing some unscripted question and answer. Neither one of us have the attention span to, to develop a whole script on anything. So we don't know how it's going to go. If it, um, this was mostly Kevin's idea, so if it bombs, it's his fault. Um, if, if it goes well, it's because God is good. And, and so, yeah. It is, a, you know, it is a happy Father's Day for me. I get that. But I think even more uh, impactful on my spirit in preparation for this time was the fact that I know for many among us, probably sitting here in this room, uh, I'm aware of the fact that this may not be a terribly happy day for many. And when I say Happy Father's Day, maybe for many in here, it evokes thoughts and images or memories or, or realities that are not always the easiest thing with which to deal and that's what's weighed heaviest on my heart, not in a bad way, just in a, in a real way, because we're real people living out real life. Whatever's happening up on this stage right now, it had better be real or we may as well not even bother. And some of what has been going through my mind and my heart is just being aware that I'm sure there are fathers here who maybe have had a, a, a child lost. And when we say Happy Father's Day, the grief is once again new. The emotions uh, come up yet again, or perhaps uh, you have lost your own father here this morning, and again, the, the, those wounds are fresh. They, they feel almost like yesterday. You know how grief is, right? It kind of, years can go by, and yet it can feel like yesterday all at the same time. So I'm mindful of that. I'm mindful of the fact that for probably some, if not many, there are, there's a reality that your father maybe was not the kind of father that you would have liked him to be. And that maybe he was there, but not really there. Or maybe he was not there at all. My dad and I talk about some of those things and some of those realities from his own journey as well. And, and walking through some of that, not having a father who's a stable figure. And there's probably some in here for, they would love to be a father, but for any number of reasons cannot be one. And if you're like me as a father as well, you recognize uh, all too clearly as you lay in bed at night, those places where you fail or those places where maybe you were not the father that you thought you should be, and certainly not the father of the books or of the Promise Keepers conferences. So that's all spinning in mind. I'm wildly grateful for my children. I'm wildly grateful for my father. I'm also wildly aware of the fact that we live in a difficult world, a broken world. Just step out in the mall, see what you see, read the newspapers, see what you read. Um, we see the absence of fathers. We see the difficulty in our time. And so my hope is for 
this morning as we do a few things related to Father's Day that there could be some measure of healing and hope, uh, some voids filled, and some times of real gratefulness and honoring, too, of our fathers, all mixed into one. Don't know how we'll do that in 30 minutes, but we'll give it a, we'll give it a shot. And uh, so we'll do three things this morning. I'm going to offer a brief meditation on the 23rd Psalm for you to hopefully take with you in your own journey related to being a father or related to your fathers. Uh, I'll spend another brief time just explaining those things for which I'm grateful related to my father, hopefully as a way of prompting your thinking about your own dad. And then my father will come up and we'll share some things that way. So this is my first ever three-point sermon. (laughs) I don't think I've ever done I can't alliterate it with like peas and peaches and porches and parties and stuff. But, um, you know, they taught us to do these three-point sermons in in school. That was 15 years ago for me. And this is my first ever three-point sermon. So just take that on board. It's a big deal for me uh, today. All right, with that, let's go ahead and pray over our time this morning, and uh, we'll get into our talk. God, I, I do, in, in the midst of this sacred space and, and this time together, that I ask that you would um, prompt our hearts for gratefulness, for maybe things that we've long forgotten about our fathers, that maybe that gratefulness can be stirred again, that our father was there to even just be able to honor little bits and pieces, if that's all we have. But for those that, that have had a good and stable and healthy father, just that gratefulness would be brought forth. And for those uh, in whom there is a void of some kind, I ask that in ways that only you can do that work, that you would do that work this morning among us. Pray these things in your son's name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, one of my uh, increasingly favorite passages of Scripture is the 23rd Psalm. Uh, some of you, most of you have probably heard that psalm. I'm not going to read the entire thing now. I will at the end of the sermon as a way of uh, blessing all of us in this. But right now, I just want to look at the first couple of verses that, again, may sound familiar, and try to get underneath them a little bit more related to, I think, some hopeful words, some helpful words about uh, the reality of the voids that we carry from maybe the voids we speak into our children as fathers, but the voids we also have from our fathers, that, that there's some hope in this 23rd Psalm for, for entering into those voids and bringing some healing. So if you know the passage, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. So a couple of those things that just to, to pull out of that, starting with this word soul, where it says restores or refreshes my soul, that when I hear soul, I think sort of of some invisible reality that's inside of me. I don't always know, but it's a piece of me that is somehow destined for the future, some, uh, some kind of heavenly reality. And yet the Hebrews, when they saw that word soul back in that time that this text was written, it would have encompassed three things. It would have encompassed your mind, your body, and your spirit. Basically meaning the wholeness of who we are as people, mind, body, and spirit. He refreshes or restores our mind, body, and spirit is what that is saying in that passage. And when I take that thought and go back to the beginning of the 23rd Psalm where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, or I lack nothing. That lack nothing then, again in the Hebrew, literally means that I will have all that I need for wholeness. I will have all that I need 
for wholeness. So for those of you that maybe have heard in your life, well, my earthly father maybe wasn't what I would have dreamt for him to be, but we have a heavenly father that can heal our wounds. Have you ever heard that and it somehow felt a little bit patronizing at times? Well, yeah, that's great, but really? And if you're like me as a father who worries maybe about the wounds that I've created unintentionally in my children or the voids and wonder about what can happen there, and you say, but they have a heavenly father, so it's all going to be fine. Really? Well, it can be. For the Lord, our father, is our shepherd. And in him, we find everything we need in our mind, body, and spirit for wholeness. So as we walk with him, beside the quiet waters. And as he lays us down in green pastures, the voids get filled. Maybe not all at once, as if God is some sort of cosmic vending machine that we go and say one prayer and everything's all happy again. But the Lord is my shepherd. He provides everything we need for wholeness. We walk, so he walks alongside of us. And it restores our mind, body, and spirit. And that, for me, is what I hope covers our time this morning as my father and I talk about the things for which we're grateful and the very good things of the journey, but also the things that are difficult. And again, if statistics are any indication, there's every evidence that among us here this morning, the several hundred of us, there is going to be pain and difficulty and there is going to be void. And so there is a shepherd who walks alongside of us. And it's not patronizing. God really does that work among us. And that's my hope that that somehow will happen among us this morning. But into that, too, and, and my dad and I chatted about this, uh, this last couple of weeks, what we didn't want to have happen is sometimes what happens when people come sit up front is they're seen as sort of this paragon of virtue. You know, we bring the missionaries up front, and they're the ones that are really great, and we all don't, you know, I, I've sat out here, and I don't measure up to them. Uh, don't worry, you don't have, you know, we're fine, right? Not a lot to measure up to, <laughs> the two of us. I, I won't shy away from the fact that I have a father who's followed Jesus for most of his last 35 years of life. And I hope that comes through. And I won't shy away from the fact that I've decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back from that. But on that journey, there is pain, there's sorrow, there's difficulty, right? God doesn't, he doesn't exist to make us happy. He exists to provide wholeness that we can shine his light in the world. So that's what I hope as he comes up. And there are many things, though, before he does, that my way of honoring my father, I'm listening to the commandment this morning, honor your father and mother, a way of honoring my father that I am legitimately grateful for. And as I say these few things out loud, uh, I hope some of them you can resonate with, and I hope they prompt your thinking for what you might be grateful for in your own father as well. So here are the things that landed on me as I thought about my own dad, that I'm so grateful for his unwavering support. By support, I don't mean permission or lack of accountability. He is my friend, but he's always been my father, and he's pushed me. Even now at 43, I afford him a rightful place of authority in my life to guide me, to walk alongside of me. And in those places, he's always given me support and endeavored to create ways of opportunity for me. And for that, I am very grateful. He didn't, wasn't done and dusted at 18 years old. He continued to walk out the journey with me. My wife and I both are so very grateful for his love of my own children. All five of them loves each one. 
spends time with them as her grandfather, didn't just jet set down to Florida for seven months out of the year and catch up on the holidays. He really, and it cost him, make no mistake, it cost him to do that work with my kids. And they have an anchoring in life from another stable figure for which I am very grateful. I'm also grateful, he'll speak more on this, that he stepped into the generational sin patterns of our own family journey, our own ancestry. The Kapsner family, yes, it actually has skeletons in the closet. Like all families. And he stepped into that. And in that life came, and for that I am grateful. I'm grateful growing up that he carried the financial burden for our family, and you know what? I barely knew it. I barely knew it. Only now, in my 30s and now 40s, do I know some of the stories of that which he carried and that which he sheltered us from in those times of great uncertainty, allowing us just to be children. I'm grateful for his discipline. I, I mean, I wasn't back then, but, but, but I am now, mostly. Mostly. But his discipline taught me to respect other people. And I found that respect for other people, that when you see the image of God in other people, that that is sort of the necessary precondition to really love them. And love is the way of the kingdom. And if we don't teach our children to respect other people, to see the image of God in the other, it's pretty difficult to teach them to love. And I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful, number six, uh, for growing up. He surrounded us with people of faith, sometimes within the church in which we went, sometimes not, but people that felt to me like they stepped right outside the pages of Scripture. They just kind of, just whoop, here they were. And I was like, I think I read about you in Acts, but now you're here. And, and there was those kind of people that maybe not fancy titles, maybe not much to look at, but people filled with faith. It, it taught me that I was part of a bigger story than just an American-German kind of person. There was a bigger story going on. And I met those people, and I'm grateful for that. And I am grateful for all of those things, but the one thing that stands out most for which I'm most grateful is that over the years, however perfectly and imperfectly, my father has modeled what I believe Scripture teaches to be the true key to kingdom life. That our pathway to becoming people of joy and of love and of peace, like really from the inside out, our pathway to becoming those kinds of people that can shine the light in this world often boils down to one thing. And it's a thing that, uh, frankly, is quite counterintuitive in our culture today, where we believe we are entitled to all kinds of happiness, where we think our desires are there just to be fulfilled by God. And if I just have the right amount of faith or enough faith, then I will get the kind of prosperity that I deserve, that I need. There must be something wrong in my interchange with God because I don't have everything that I want. But you deserve your best life now, the bookshelves scream at us. And stadiums are filled with that. You deserve it. Just have to have the right amount of faith. And yet, my father modeled for me something very different. And I believe it's a narrow path on which few seem to tread. For what my father has modeled for me is that if you want to really live, if you really want to have a best life now, it may or may not involve financial or emotional or relational prosperity. But if you really want it, you better learn how to die. 
you better learn how to give it all up. And I don't just mean physical death, though that is part of the equation in life, is it not? I mean, to my understanding, mortality is about 100% reality. <laughs> May as well learn how to do it a little bit now. But he taught me that truth that Jesus says, I tell you this, if you cling to this life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to give it all up for my sake, I promise you, you're going to find it. I promise you that. My father understood the Philippians 2 reality that your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, though he was in very nature God, did not consider that equality something to be hung on to. He gave it all up, let it all go, and became a servant. My father regularly spoke these words over me growing up. Galatians 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So any life that I live from here, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I've watched my father bear fruit in his life, even now in extended ways, now into his 70s. And my father understood this, that when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the soil and learns how to die, no fruit will be born. Doesn't make sense in America. I'm des- I deserve entitlement. It's in my constitution, right? I, I, I am entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. However, I define it. Jesus invites us into something very different. I tell you this, come and learn how to die. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. I don't promise you all sorts of loveliness. I do promise you joy. That doesn't make sense for most people. I promise you a peace that passes understanding. I promise you a capacity to partner with me in the kingdom of God in ways in which you will see my kind of fruit born. My father taught me that. For that, I'm grateful. And with that, invite him up here to say a bit more about the journey. Now, I have to move this podium, and I told Andrea they better have workman's comp here. So, if something breaks down here, I'll let my dad just take over, and and, uh, I'll look, you know, Andrea, I'll be in touch. Wow, Peter. Yeah, it's fun to be up here with you now. I feel a little bit like Jesus now. You know, you've always been that to me so perfectly. (laughs) Even in the discipline, somehow I saw God the Father in that. (laughs) Well, I I thank you for those kind words, Mm -hmm. and... uh, but I thank you especially for uh, forgetting or at least not mentioning all the failures in my life. I get it. So thank you, Peter. You are, you know, very special to me. Hmm. You, you, um, you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, my experience with my father wasn't necessarily something that we would consider ideal. Yeah, yeah, I wanted you to speak on that a bit because I think a lot of us have grown up in those situations, and so to hear a bit of your journey in that. Yeah, I was, um, I was born in a, in a very large family in central Minnesota, 12 kids, eight boys, four girls, three of my little sisters died very young, so there was a lot of grief and sorrow in the family, um, and there was uh, not a lot of love. I uh, want to be fair with my dad, you know, he, uh, he grew up in a home also where there were 13 kids, and, and uh, during the Great Depression... Hmm. And uh, my grandpa was a very autocratic, czaristic father. He expected the family to serve him and to serve his needs, and rather than being a father who uh, considered uh, the children and uh, his wife ahead of himself. And so there was a lot of anger, there was a lot of judgment, there was a lot of control in that family, and my dad carried that into our family as I look back. While I lived in that environment, obviously, I didn't know that, I didn't feel that. All I felt was a lot of fear, a lot of judgment, and uh, 
and a lot of anger. And, uh, but I can understand it, to be fair with my father, that uh, I can understand where he was coming from because uh, just after the Great Depression, he, um, he had a very large family and he had to be under a tremendous amount of pressure I to can't imagine. Uh, raise the family, to provide food, to provide clothing, a house, and all of that. Uh, and he didn't have the foundation that he needed in order to be anything else than what he was. And um, while I didn't feel any love for my dad, uh, but he was there, and he did, um, he did cause our family to survive amidst all the challenges, and my mom played a very large role in providing at least a bit of love in mm. that environment. But that's how I grew up, and, and uh, that had a, a significant impact on my view of God as well. My dad was a very religious person. His, his dad, my grandpa, was excommunicated from the church for being somewhat of a rebel, and, and I think that impacted him as well uh, to become I know that more... hasn't impacted you ever, ever <laughs> being a rebel. Yeah, no, I know, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and I think that impacted him in a way that made him very religious and, and felt like he really needed to earn God's love and mm. uh, to, to earn his favor, and uh, that made me also have that same feeling. And I, I saw God as... Uh, as maybe a policeman in the sky ready to pounce on me every time that I did wrong and uh, leaving home with that kind of an attitude uh, and that kind of environment and agenda, mm. you know, it, it just left me with a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity. And basically that's kind of how, uh, how I grew up and how I came into, uh, uh, into the world. Yeah, in part of um, what we've chatted about, and you know, just as we've, we've talked over the years, and uh, my brother's four years older uh, than me, John, and, and very early in our journey, I think you brought some of that kind of just policeman in the sky, picture of God, all of that. Now, he, being older than me, took a little bit more of the brunt of some of that, but, but at the same time, there was a significant then change. Like, what happened? How did that take place? Uh, you're about 35, I think, roughly. Is that about right? When know. the change took place? Yeah, when you began to change. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it change. happens all at once, right? I mean, oh, once, yeah, once you find the light, everything's all fine. <laughs> well, right. you mentioned that I was a lot like Jesus. Oh, right I, well, beginning. yeah, you are now, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, really what happened about seven or eight years into our marriage, uh, your mother bought me a Bible for Christmas. Hmm. She, to this day, doesn't know why she did it, and I don't either, but I... I was searching at that time, and I think she sensed that, and I started to read the Bible, and uh, I was getting a whole different picture of God. He wasn't this policeman in, in the sky, and I began to really search and, and mm. try to learn more about this God who maybe even cared about me. And uh, I remember uh, uh, going to a week-long uh, seminar, uh, Basic Youth Conflicts. I was thinking at that time, at the same time, I was thinking, how can I, you know, be a good father to my sons? You know, they're starting to grow. They're five and three or something like that at the time. And, and uh, so I went to the seminar, and um, I remember the speaker was speaking directly to me all week long from the, from the Word of God. Hmm. And it, it absolutely was, was changing me from the inside out during that whole week long. And I didn't know exactly why, and I remember uh, driving home that night and skipping the last session and looking at uh, and, and forgetting something on the seat of the auditorium where I was sitting, and I needed to go back to get it because it was something for a fairly significant conference coming up next week that I was leading. And I turned to Linda and I said, I think the Holy Spirit wants, me, wants us back at that session. So we went back to the final session that evening, and that was the night that uh, the speaker uh, gave the invitation to open our heart and lives to the Lord Jesus for his uh, to become uh, his Savior and his Lord, and, and I did. I opened up my life and hmm. heart to the Lord Jesus, and, uh, 
and I met my Heavenly Father yeah. for the first time. And I felt that whole week, even as I think back on it, and that's almost 40 years ago yeah. now, time does fly, <laughs> um, I still get somewhat emotional yeah. because I remember for the first time feeling uh, the love of a father. Mm. So that changed me yeah, yeah. Uh, dramatically. And as I looked at you and, and John, that changed me too because I realized that I really wasn't your father. Hmm. Your real father, you know, is your heavenly father from which we all came. And uh, so that changed my whole, yeah. my whole paradigm. Yeah, you know, and as I try to communicate up here too then, and as the start of that journey, um, it is what I'm most grateful for that in ways that we didn't always see, but in ways in which I know now much later that you did follow out a path of following Jesus, that it didn't, you know, it didn't end with one sort of some mm -hmm. kind of interchange right mm -hmm. there, and you and God, you're all good, and you got your ticket to heaven kind of thing. It was that you continued to walk it out. And, and what it seems like you found in that is this how to learn how to let go and to die to live. And I know you have some stories about that, but I would love to have you yeah. say some of that because I think, if, if, and I don't know if this resonates with anybody out there today, but as a father, it took me a while to really grow deeper and deeper and deeper in love with my own kids. And when I talk to young dads and dads even my age, that oftentimes, you know, stuff we don't talk about out loud, but, but to learn to really love, love our kids beyond just being a, a responsible person for them, to really actually love them. And, uh, and I know you did that, but the process was not always easy. And no, so you did, there's no. a few stories of dying to live sort of thing. I'd love to have you, you talk about that. Well, you know, that's God's greatest wisdom. We need to die to really live. The world would say, and I was growing up in the world with this paradigm, we need to live to die. So amass all that you can, mm. eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you mm. may die. Mm. But Jesus said... In order to really live, you need to die. I remember when I first came to know the Lord and, and, uh, and wanted to really please Him and heard this story about, you know, wanting Him to be all that He is in my life, I selected Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth, to strengthen the hearts that are entirely His. And I began to realize that my heart was not entirely His. And, and dying to live is, 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 is a lifelong process. It's a process that we all go through in one way or another. And there are many, many events that I could share where the Lord brought that to reality into my life and, and by His grace and mercy allowed me and enabled me to make some very, very significant choices that really brought life to my being. Hmm. Uh, there are three that stand out that I want to share. Um, maybe the third one I'll have trouble sharing. But... The first one was, I remember having a very sleepless night and being very anxious, and uh, Jesus was my Savior, but really wasn't completely my Lord, and I ended up in the, uh, in the guest bedroom, and it was two in the morning, and I remember this tremendous weight that came over me, and I mean, it was like physical weight, and then there was this voice through my thought process that came to me, and it said, uh, if you were to lose your business, if you were to lose your home, if you were to lose your family would you still follow me? And I remember really... No, I, no I'm not sure I would. Okay, yeah, <laughs> well, sorry. I really wrestled, you know, maybe for a good half hour to an hour with that in all these areas, and how would it be? And finally, I was able to say, yes, I mm. would. And, mm. and it wasn't an intellectual exercise. It was a deep, deep emotional experience, and I fully expected maybe that would happen. Mm. And, uh, mm. But I made that choice, and here we are. 
35 years later, yeah. you're still here. <laughs> and I'm tremendously I'm grateful. But that was, I think, maybe the first major... I have a three-point sermon. You did, this is so you exciting. Got, <laughs> you, you modeled yet another thing for me. I'll bring that up in the yeah, second service. That's yeah. good. But uh, the second one had to do with my business. It was very successful, and I put a lot of work and effort into it, and um, it was my life. But I had given it over to the Lord, and I was getting tired of running it, so I hired somebody, and I abdicated my responsibility and my leadership, and it started to go south. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling all this pain. Hmm. And I'm saying, you know, why am I feeling all this pain? And I remember driving home one night, and um, I parked on the side of the road, and I just screamed out to the Lord. I said, Lord, why am I feeling all this pain? You know, I dedicated this to you. And there was this voice again that came down in my thoughts, like he does through his Holy Spirit. Uh, Son, you're not doing a very good job of running my business. And that was really a wake-up call. It helped me understand what Paul meant when he presses on you know, with his life to the upward call of God. You know, we, while I dedicated it to him, I needed to continue to run it with all of my energy and with all of my uh, wisdom that God had given me. Hmm. So that was another very significant uh, milestone in my journey. Just, the final one was when... Um, and, I've, and I've shared this story before from this pulpit. It's been yeah. a number of years, but okay. I, got, I got sick and we thought that was going to be the end. I yeah. was diagnosed yeah. with ALS. Yeah, I got and... the call from you and you said you were diagnosed with ALS. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I that... mean, just to wrap up that part of the story, it turned out to be a false diagnosis over a period of time. And I still live with some of the symptoms today, but, but it was a very real part yeah. of, our, of our journey. So. Yeah, it was a, a real part for about eight days when yeah. you were diagnosed. And, and uh, I had to go before my father and mm-hmm. say... Uh, I prefer it to be me than mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know, even at that time, you were praying that, uh, let this cup pass, let this cup pass. You shared that with me later. And then finally, on the seventh day, you were able to say, yeah. uh, nevertheless, thy will be done. And um, I was praying at the same time. And uh, fi- you know what I, what I understood for the first time was the depth of the Father's love of the Lord Jesus when he had to send them to the cross. And I thanked him for that. And, uh, but that was another process of experiencing, you know, death to self and my love and desire to have Peter for a lot of years that I would lose him. And uh, so that was the final part of my journey. And um, yeah. it was, uh, it was a, an amazing experience. So, and yeah. I'll, I'll, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything hmm. because uh, it, was a, it was a heavenly experience. Yeah, I think to me what that so speaks of and what, what has resonated in my, in my life since those times is that we hear about the gospel being good news, and it is good news. And, and it's, you know, this, but the good news so often gets reduced to in our culture, this idea that we just get into heaven when we die and we kind of muck about for this life and, and do what we can do. And yet the good news is much bigger than that. I remember reading a quote at one point from a guy named <coughs> Dallas Willard who um, said that the world is the safest place you can be in if you're with the Father, the Heavenly Father. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and it doesn't mean it's going to be um, free from turmoil, but it's always safe. There's good news mm-hmm. that regardless of what we see, a raid against the kingdom of God, a raid against his reality, no matter what we have to walk in, the good news is bigger than I just get to go to heaven, is that he's always there. Yeah. 
and that he always will stand with us. And I think yeah. that's what we found in those moments. You know, we have a couple of minutes left here. I know there was a, a few things you wanted to say in closing, and I'll read a bit of the 23rd Psalm mm. as well, too, yeah. but uh, yeah. some different things on your heart. I'd love to have you. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say how grateful I am that I come to know my true Heavenly Father through Jesus and how grateful I am for the Good Shepherd, the mm. Lord Jesus, who loves me and you unconditionally. It's an awesome, awesome, amazing life that we have been given the privilege of experiencing. Mm. And it's really a circle of life. You know, I'll be circling out very soon. And, uh, you know, Peter, you're right at the peak, you know, of uh, your physical life. And, and you have an opportunity, I think, to impact many, many people, the next generation, including your kids, my mm. lovely, wonderful <laughs> grandkids whom I dearly love. Uh, John's kids who are Anders, Katie, and Isaac, mm-hmm. and then I, and I pray every day for them, and, I, and, then, and then there's Caleb, and then there's Anna, yeah, and then there's Abigail, and then there's Samuel, and then there's the wild one, Simon. Yeah, he's, he's absolutely unparentable. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. He's our fifth child. We, I mean, Hallie and I have all sorts of books. We've done, I worked for the first four. We got nothing for him, so he's, yeah. he's four years old. We've declared him unparentable, and we just, like, watch him run around, so it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah. true, but, uh, but it, 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 it gives a grandpa a great challenge, and I, and I enjoy the challenge to be with the grandkids, and I feel a deep responsibility to be in their lives as I was in the lives of mm-hmm. Peter and John, and, and I want to continue to be in your life, and we do uh, journey together, and uh, I want to continue to be able to have the privilege to do that. Uh, however, when I think about circling out of life, you know, I am tremendously encouraged by Paul's words, no mm-hmm. eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind can conceive what I, Jesus, have in store for those who love me. And if my heart is troubled occasionally, I remember Jesus' words where he said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust Mm. also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. And I'm going to go there to prepare a a place for you Mm. so that you might be with me forever. I'm going to come back to take each of you individually into glory land. So that is a great encouragement to me. Mm. I hope it's a great encouragement to you as well. So how do we show this tremendous love? How do I show this tremendous love that Jesus has for me back to him? And how can you just love his kids? We are all his kids. Love one another. That's the great commandment. There really isn't any other commandment. When we do that one, we've done them all. Yeah, it sort of sorts it all out, doesn't it? If we love God and love one another, everything else gets sorted out. So it's a great privilege yeah. to be your father. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that's good. Right. What we'll do here as we close, um, I'm going to grab my notes just because I have the 23rd Psalm written on them. I'll invite you to stand in just a moment. Um, there's another piece to this that I really love about the 23rd Psalm, and that's that bit at the end where it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That word good there, I've taught on it before, but it just simply means the way God desires things to be. It's his tov, and, and, and surely that kind of goodness and his hesed, his mercy, will follow me. But what's beautiful about that passage is that it's not really the sense of follow, like kind of just um, um, follow behind and you're not really... Th- it, it, the, the Hebrew word for there is actually pursue. And it will pursue and it will chase me and it will hunt me down. And it will continue to do so. And so surely our shepherd, our father, no matter how we're walking in life, his, his goodness, his intended, this is what I called you to, will continue to pursue and can, will t- continue to hunt us down and try to grab hold of us 
in his mercy in those places in the midst of our turmoil. We'll, he, he, will, he will provide that for us. So that's the blessing just over all of us in general, but also for fathers in here this morning who maybe wonder what kind of father they've been to their own children, wanting to be a good father, knowing the voids, for those of us having voids in our own journey related to our fathers, that we read this over you, and then my, my father will offer a prayer of anointing just on everyone here this morning. So with that, if you would stand. And you'd like, you can hold out your hands, or you can close your eyes, or you can do whatever you'd like to do. But just uh, take in the words of the 23rd Psalm. It really is real. These aren't just words on ancient pages of some papyrus. This is the real deal. God is really still up to all of this. Okay? The Lord is my shepherd. I will have everything I need for wholeness. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my mind, body, and spirit. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though one day I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even there I will fear no evil. For the shepherd will be with me. And in those dark places, his rod and his staff, they will comfort me. And he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints our heads with oil and our cup overflows. And surely his tov, his goodness, and his mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we're so grateful, so grateful for the privilege of experiencing life. Not only life on this wonderful, beautiful universe, but your very life as our Father. We're so grateful, so much for sending Jesus to make it all possible. Thank you for your Holy Spirit living in and through us. I pray, Father, for myself and for all of us here wherever we can make an impact as fathers or grandfathers or kingdom people, help us, Father, to die so that we might live and truly love with the same passion and love that you have demonstrated to each one of us. So we're grateful as a body of believers, as your kids, to give you praise, honor, and glory today and honor you, Father, the true Father of the universe. Glory unto you forever. In the name of our precious Savior, Jesus, in the power of your Spirit living in us, so grateful. Amen.